This is part two of a three-part non-promotional, non-CME disease education podcast series paid for by GSK. Speakers were compensated for their time. I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle. I'm a board-certified family physician and associate professor at Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine. And hello, I am Dr. Autumn Burnett. I'm a board-certified allergy and immunology physician and assistant professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Today, we'll be talking about GINA, or Global Initiative for Asthma's Recommendations on Assessing Asthma Control. So Dr. Burnett, why is it important to assess asthma control? It's important because asthma is a chronic disease of variability that could potentially impose significant health risks and burdens for patients and their family members, which may include physical or emotional or socioeconomic impacts to that patient or family. And how would you define asthma control? Per Gina, the definition of asthma control is the extent to which the effects of asthma can be seen in the patient or have been reduced or removed by treatment. Does your view of asthma control differ from the patient's? Oftentimes, yes, it does. A patient's self-assessment of their asthma control may not accurately characterize their true level of control. In my own clinical experience, patients sometimes tend to downplay their asthma as a chronic problem and tend to want to treat their asthma only when they're experiencing acute symptoms. However, despite that they may be burdened by their asthma, patients are not always proactive in addressing asthma concerns and are not always aware that their symptoms may be actually uncontrolled. I can certainly understand this. You know, what's included in the assessment of asthma control? So per GINA guidelines, there are two factors or domains for assessing asthma control, which are first, current symptom control, and then second, future risk. Now, if asthma control is broken down into current symptom control and future risk, how do you assess symptom control? GINA recommends assessing asthma symptoms over the past four weeks, which include daytime symptoms more than twice a week, any nighttime symptoms, use of a rescue reliever needed more than twice a week, and any activity limitations due to asthma. You can determine if a person is well-controlled by adding these up. If they have none of these categories, that person would be considered well-controlled. If they have one or two of these symptoms, that person may be considered partly controlled. And if they have three or four of these symptoms, a person would be considered uncontrolled. Thank you for that explanation. So now let's review a patient case. Patient KP is a 29-year-old female with symptoms of wheezing, dry, productive cough, and chest tightness that occurs intermittently, typically two to three times per week and three to four nights per month. She was diagnosed with asthma by her PCP at age 19 and thus far has been managing her asthma with rescue short-acting beta agonists only. Her short-acting beta agonist is used almost daily. She states her asthma worsened in the past year after she adopted a cat who sleeps in her bedroom. She also reports a mild flare in asthma symptoms during the spring season every year. Triggers for her also include upper respiratory infections, and she's unable to fully exercise without symptoms. This past year was particularly rough, and she was treated in the ER twice in the past six months with an oral steroid burst and a short-acting beta agonist for an asthma exacerbation. She's been compliant with all CDC-recommended vaccinations for asthmatics. She denies having any prior lung function testing, allergy testing, or blood work to identify additional risk factors. 
She denies a history of acid reflux, anxiety, and depression, and her BMI is within normal limits. So what are important points to consider when you assess your patient's symptoms? So having uncontrolled asthma symptoms is an important risk factor for exacerbations. Also, it is important to understand that symptoms may vary over time. Some patients may say, I outgrew my asthma for a few years and then it came back. Others may try to limit their activities and their symptoms may appear to be better due to this behavior. It is important to be consistent when evaluating for asthma control. Also, some lower respiratory symptoms such as dyspnea or wheezing may be nonspecific and not necessarily due to asthma. It is important to clarify that symptoms are directly due to asthma. And what questions do you ask your patients about symptom control? I will typically ask questions regarding asthma symptoms during activity and sleep. For instance, does the patient's asthma limit their activities specifically regarding home life, school life, or work life? Does their asthma affect their ability to exercise? Or does exercise specifically trigger asthma symptoms? I'll also ask if their sleep is encumbered by asthma or if they're having any nighttime awakenings or if their asthma symptoms simply occur at rest. I will also ask the patient how often they are using their rescue medication or their short-acting beta agonist, or if there are any unavoidable asthma triggers that may be involved. Also ask if there's any difficulty using their inhaler specifically in terms of technique, or if there are any issues regarding affording their asthma medication what tools are available for the assessment of symptom control? Questionnaires such as the asthma control test are standard tools used to assess asthma control. The ACT score consists of four symptom reliever questions plus patient assessment of their self-control. The score ranges from five to 25, the higher the better. Specifically, a score of 20 to 25 is classified as well-controlled, a score of 16 to 19, is not well controlled, and a score of 5 to 15 is considered poorly controlled. The minimal clinically important difference is three points. So let's return to the patient case. How would you describe this patient's level of symptom control? So patient KP is without any control or therapy, and given her symptom history, which includes lower respiratory tract symptoms two to three times per week and three to four nights per month, also a short-acting beta agonist use almost daily, and she had difficulty exercising, she would be considered uncontrolled per GINA guidelines. Also, her ACT score was 15, which would be in the category of poorly controlled. Now, why is symptom control not the only component in understanding asthma control? So poor asthma symptom control itself can increase the risk of exacerbations but there are several additional independent risk factors that have also been identified that can increase the patient's risk of exacerbations, even if symptoms are few. And also variations in symptom control, such as if the patient feels better and they don't take their therapy, could potentially leave airway inflammation if they are untreated. The risk of severe exacerbations and mortality can increase with higher short-acting beta agonist rescue use. Additionally, patients may have little to no symptoms, but may still be at risk of having asthma impairment. Lung function does not always correlate with symptomatology, 
And some patients may have a low lung function and few symptoms, which potentially can lead to future risk of exacerbations. Also, respiratory conditions may be due to other things such as deconditioning or may be related to other comorbidities such as acid reflux or chronic rhinosinusitis, which may need to be managed in addition to the asthma. You mentioned that assessing asthma control consists of assessing both symptom control and future risk. In terms of assessment of future risk, what does this entail? So per Gina, assessing risk factors should be done at diagnosis and periodically particularly if a person is having frequent exacerbations. Also, identify potential modifiable risk factors for exacerbations in patients, even in those with few symptoms. Independent risk factors for exacerbation include the following, any history of intubation or ICU stay for asthma, and greater than or equal to one major exacerbation in the past 12 months, which may involve an ER visit or treatment with a systemic corticosteroid. What are the risk factors for exacerbations that we should be aware of? Firstly, risk factors are factors that increase the patient's risk of asthma exacerbations, persistent airflow limitation, loss of lung function, or medication side effects. And there are several factors that may be involved in poor asthma control, and any or all may contribute to future exacerbations. There may be medication or treatment issues involved. Sometimes inhaled corticosteroids are not prescribed to patients who are in need of them, or patients may have an incorrect inhaler technique and therefore medication is not appropriately delivered to the lungs, or some patients may just have poor adherence to their controller therapy. Some patients may also have a higher use of Saba inhaler, which may be associated with increased exacerbations. Also, Patients may have other comorbidities involved. Comorbidities should be identified as these may contribute to respiratory symptoms, flare-ups for the patient, and oftentimes poor quality of life. Also, there may be certain exposures to the patient, such as air pollution, viral upper respiratory tract infections, or lower respiratory tract infections, or the patient may have occupational exposures. Certain settings such as major socioeconomic problems, may be a modifiable risk factor for patients. Having a low FEV1, especially if it's less than 60% predicted, may be a factor. Risk factors for patients may also include higher levels of blood eosinophils and higher levels of pheno levels. What about risk factors of persistent airflow limitation? What's important to know about this? So the measurement of airflow limitation and variability can fluctuate in an individual. The average rate of decline in an FEV1 in a non-smoking healthy adult is roughly 15 to 20 milliliters per year. Asthma patients may have an accelerated decline in their lung function and could potentially develop airflow limitation that is not fully reversible. Per Gina, for adults with asthma, evidence of variable expiratory airflow limitation should be documented at least once during the diagnostic process. It is important to demonstrate that the FEV1 FVC ratio is below the lower limit of normal and also to document significant bronchodilator reversibility in the airway by 200 milliliters or by 12% from baseline or their pre-bronchodilator value. Typically, the greater the reversibility, 
the more likely the diagnosis of asthma. A significant bronchodilator reversibility may be absent, however, if there is severe exacerbation that is currently happening or if the person is having a viral infection. Per GINA, risk factors for developing fixed airflow limitation may include preterm birth, having a low birth weight, lack of inhaled corticosteroid treatment in patients with a severe exacerbation, exposures such as tobacco, pollutants, or occupational hazards, having an initially low FEV1, having chronic mucus hypersecretion, or having sputum or blood eosinophilia. Now, how often do you assess lung function in your asthma patients, and how do you interpret these results? I prefer to initially assess lung function at baseline prior to starting any control or therapy. However, this may not always be possible. If inhaled corticosteroid inhalers have been initiated, then I may have the patient temporarily hold their inhaled corticosteroid and long-acting beta agonist inhaler for approximately 24 to 36 hours prior to doing their lung function testing. Short-acting beta agonists may need to be held four hours or longer prior to doing lung function testing. I prefer to reassess lung function three to six months after I initiate a controller therapy and then periodically thereafter, depending on the patient's level of exacerbations. Does lung function correlate to asthma symptoms in adults? Not always. Sometimes lung function does not strongly correlate with asthma symptoms. Patients can be symptomatic despite having a normal lung function and vice versa. Patients can have an abnormal lung function and be asymptomatic or have few respiratory symptoms. Poorly controlled asthma is associated with a greater variability in lung function than if a person had well-controlled asthma. The measurement of airflow limitation and variability can, yes, fluctuate in an individual. And what are risk factors for medication side effects? So it's always important to consider the risk-benefit ratio of medication. Patients can be at risk for systemic side effects if they're taking frequent oral corticosteroids or if they're taking long-term high doses of potent inhaled corticosteroids. Also, if they're taking cytochrome P450 inhibitors. Patients are at risk for local side effects if they're taking higher doses of inhaled corticosteroids, specifically if that patient has poor inhaler technique. So to close out our patient case, let's discuss questions to ask and next steps for assessing asthma control. So for patient KP, the next steps for assessing asthma control would be to determine any potential modifiable risk factors, which may include allergen exposures. We obtained her ACT score, which was 15. Now we would wanna perform diagnostic lung function testing and then determine the degree of airflow limitation in this patient. One of the things we could do is to perform actual allergy testing, eosinophil levels, and then afterwards prescribe her a controller therapy and watch for her proper inhaler technique. We could also discuss the use of rescue short-acting beta agonist therapy with her just to make sure that she is not overusing or misusing this medication. And also reassess for improvement in lung function and symptoms periodically. So Dr. Burnett, what are some take-home points from our case today? So Dr. Jen, one of the things that we want to start with is just purely confirming the diagnosis of asthma in patients 
that are presenting and address any comorbidity that may be involved. Measuring lung function before starting treatment is oftentimes helpful. And then again, measuring lung function three to six months later and then periodically. At least yearly, lung function should be measured in patients to monitor for control, especially in those patients that have poorly controlled asthma symptoms. Lung function should be measured more frequently if it's a pediatric patient and in those that are at higher risk for asthma flare-ups or loss of lung function or patients that are having medication side effects. I like to take every opportunity to assess asthma control with patients, particularly when they are symptomatic or when they are following an asthma exacerbation or when they are in my clinic asking for a prescription refill. In addition, I like to schedule routine asthma reviews and office visits at least once a year for asthmatic patients. I like to discuss potential asthma triggers with the patient at every office visit and then counsel them regarding avoidance measures such as allergen triggers or smoking. I also like to make sure that I address any socioeconomic barriers that may be a factor in terms of patients getting their asthma medication or following up for asthma routine visits. It is important to record the patient's treatment regimen at every office visit, asking them about any medication side effects that they may be having, watching their inhaler technique, discussing openly and empathetically about any adherence issues to medication, and asking the patient about their own goals in treatment and symptom control. Also, making it routine to give all asthma patients a written action plan, which can tell the patient at home how they can recognize worsening of their asthma symptoms and when to use reliever or controller medication, and also when to seek help. Using a shared decision-making approach may be key for patients. Also, it is important to balance the potential risks and benefits of medications with patients. Referral to an asthma specialist may be considered for the following. One, if there's difficulty confirming the diagnosis of asthma, or if a person has a suspected occupational exposure for their asthma, or if their asthma is persistently severely uncontrolled and they're having frequent exacerbations, or if you think that that patient may be at any additional risk factors for asthma-related death, or if there's any evidence of significant treatment side effects from their asthma medication, also, if the symptoms of their asthma suggest that there may be complications or subtypes of asthma. Hopefully the content we discuss in this podcast will help you to identify ways to assess asthma control in your asthmatic patients.